with Jared Phillips, Renaissance Geek of Salt Lake City. Oh, Renaissance Geek. That's, what it, that's a new one. <laughs> now, now, you come to us kind of by way of association. Amber here, I don't want to say discovered, but you guys ran into each other on another, on another podcast. Yes. Struck up a rapport. Yes. I mean, some people call it a rapport. You know, we call it a secret relationship. Oh, and here's your husband. <laughs> <laughs> Not so secret anymore. It's, I know. it's open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're both good outside spoons, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are, the, what are your rules about stuff like that? <laughs> Generally family-friendly show. <laughs> I can edit. Uh, I, I need to give a shout-out to, uh, to the wonderful people here at Sushi Enjoy. Uh, here at 856 East Fort Union Boulevard here in Salt Lake City, who have allowed us to take over a corner of their restaurant and feed us while we record. And it's delicious. Every podcast should be done over sushi. I think so. I'm making this decision now. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. Agreed. All right, now, now, Jared, you are a local actor. Yes. Uh, you have backgrounds, as we've been spending the last hour realizing you have a lot more backgrounds than that, but you've been acting most recently. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, you just came to us from the set of a uh, movie. Can you tell us? Yes, I, we're, I'm working. I'm not acting in this one. Um, this one's called The Mentor, and it's a, it's a thriller, kind of a, the variety that you might see on Lifetime. So not really a great way to kick off the interview. Those scare me sometimes. Actually, so there's a, the, the lead actress, her name is uh, Jess McCallan. Uh, her kind of claim to fame is a TV show called Mistresses, so that's promising. And then um, Nick Bishop um, and uh, actually Aaron Douglas, who plays uh, the in the in the reboot of the Battlestar Galactica franchise. He plays uh, the chief, Chief Tyrrell. Chief yeah. Tyrrell, yeah. And oddly enough, so I was I was talking to Aaron uh, the other day. And, and taking selfies because that, what else do you do you know, on set and, um, and I posted and somebody one of my friends posted and said oh my gosh I love him I named my son after him and I said I'm sure you get this all the time he goes nah people usually name their dogs after me but after my character but not, not their son because that's a little extreme but uh, anyway, so yeah, so it's it's you know it's kind of uh, I'm helping him out with locations. Uh, my friend David Wolf is a producer, and I produce things, and so I'm kind of helping him out a little bit. Very good, very good. Now, what other projects have you been, you know, out and about and around? Well, let's see. So we've got a movie coming out in January called Inspired Guns. Right, right. I heard about that. Which is a, a comedy about a couple of Mormon missionaries that start. Um, unbeknownst to them teaching uh, some guys that are in the mob and so uh, the mob thinks the missionaries are either feds or from another family Uh, the mobsters think that these guys are messengers from the boss of their family the FBI thinks that they're from another family and they're assassins and so it's just kind of a comedy about the only mafia that wears name tags right yeah exactly exactly. instead of across the back of their jacket that's right exactly so yeah I watched the trailer multiple times it's pretty funny it really yeah good. you can go to uh, a little shout out you can go to facebook.com forward slash inspired guns all one word to watch the trailer and I think there's actually a little sneak peek scene uh, on the Facebook page as well very cool if you jump through the requisite hoops I shall make note of that yeah so that's coming out um and then we've got another movie I'm producing coming up in February called Truth Be Told thank you 
spicy scallop hand roll being flown in right now. <laughs> All you Hollywood types. <laughs> Flying in your sushi mid interview. <laughs> this is a first for us, actually. <laughs> With the sushi being flown in? Oh, that too, uh -huh. yeah. That, and usually our guests don't like seeing us, you know, in face to face. They like the uh, anonymity of the internet for between good reason. <laughs> I think it's great. Mostly because I like the food. It's also great seeing your faces. How can you say no to sushi, though? I know, agreed. Now, you, you've been nominated, actually, as a local actor. I was nominated as Best Supporting Actor last year for the film, the, the prestigious Filmed in Utah Awards. Well, you, you, you say that with a hint of mocking, but that's well, actually pretty big for local films. It actually is Warren Workman who uh, puts on those awards every year. Just has a real passion for, for film, and um, you know he and his wife have you know at you know some great expense to themselves uh, put together this this award show that celebrates you know the fact that films are being made in Utah. Um, and it's a, I mean I think it's a great thing. Last year was kind of I think the biggest year yet, um, and they had kind of a big black tie. Uh, gala, you know, to kind of, you know, hand out the awards and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Well, and, and we should point out, this is our bit of Utah pride here as well. We're, we're listened to all over the country, and we have listeners all over the world, in fact, but we're not like, you know, northern Alaska. A lot of films are filmed in Utah. There are. We're, we're a pretty film-friendly state between the scenery, our lax tax laws, and the fact that everyone here speaks multiple languages. Um... Everything is filmed here, so that's pretty cool. There's a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, there's been a tax incentive in Utah for the last few years, so um, filmmaker that gets approved, you know, for the for the tax incentive will come into uh, the state and basically get a portion of whatever they spend in the state back, uh, you know, from from the government, which is a huge boon. In fact, that's one of the reasons those tax incentives was one of the reasons years ago. A lot of production left Los Angeles, went to Vancouver, because the Canadian government said, okay, hey, come film up here, and we'll give you whatever you spend, we're going to give you half back. So to a producer, that's really hard to ignore. Um, now, our incentive isn't 50%, it's, it's up to 25%, but still, if you're going to go make a movie that's, you know, a million dollars, and you're getting 250000 back, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to ignore. Yeah, I actually didn't know about that. That makes a lot of sense. Disney Channel shoots a lot out here, probably for that very reason. Yeah, they do. They do quite a bit out here. There's a couple. There's a local company that does uh, most of the Disney stuff that, that comes out here. And, you know, the the High School Musical movies have been done out here. And, um, Thankfully, that phase passed. <laughs> so far, you never know when it's, when it when it uh, you know a tr gets reborn. <laughs> the high school the High School Musical trilogy might get res resurrected or another chapter. The Beaver reboot of it. Well, except now, he's, now, he's, it now. now he's retiring, right? That's a new career, allegedly. Yeah, he'll be, the, he'll be the, uh, the mentor in those movies. That's right. <laughs> exactly. My so daughter is about to throw up a sushi now. Are you trying to, like, kill me over here, dude? <laughs> Disney Channel is coming out with that, like, new show with all the villain kids though, live action, so maybe maybe that'll be here in Salt Lake. So it has every kid on the show? I guess, because you know, Maleficent, 
got it on apparently at some point. That went a completely different direction than I was expecting. It's me. You expect less? Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Because she is kind of, you know, evil people doing it. Three, two, one, go. Talk amongst yourselves. On this episode of Coffee Talk. <laughs> the postmodern era and how it's even postmodern Doran era. Discuss. Well, now, when, when you and Amber met, it was, it was on another unnamed show, mm-hmm. who, who we like but who we won't advertise for. Mm-hmm. You guys were actually talking about uh, Fan Expo. Mm-hmm. Now, you you had some backroom dealings. I shouldn't say that. that makes it sound really shady. <laughs> but you actually had quite a bit to do with the first that's okay. one. That's okay. That's okay. I did a, I did an interview for uh, for Bill Allred's podcast, and, and he said you're kind of a hustler. And I was like, Yeah, I like to you're keep my girls in line. You know, it's like I'm not a pimp. You know, um, and my back between that and my back backroom dealings. You know, I never talked back again. <laughs> yeah. No, Dan Farr, who uh, who put on the inaugural Salt Lake City Comic Con um, this last year, is an old friend of mine. So I've known him for 20-plus years, and um, they asked me and invited me to come and do some work with him, uh, help, helping to get some sponsors. Uh, I helped bring out some kind of heavy hitters, you know, in the video game industry and some people that do visual effects and um, for to do some panels and things like that. And um, so, yeah, and, and the closer we actually got, the more stuff it kind of ended up doing with those guys. But it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was way more successful successful than I think any of us had anticipated. Do you, you say anticipate? Is it really that much of a surprise knowing the Utah geek culture? Or I mean, I, well, we, I, and I ask that both as someone who was behind the scenes I and think, as, as a Utah geek as well. I think that there was a hope that people would dig it. But there's a lot of Comic-Con events. You know, there's San Diego, there's New York, there's you know, there's kind of these... I think people kind of look at, at the coasts, you know, even those of us that live not in, by the coast, as kind of being somehow a mecca of this kind of stuff, entertainment and so forth. And what I think a lot of people forget is that the people that really, you know, turn the wheels of entertainment are the people that are, you know, living in Utah and Colorado and... Kansas, and you know, you know what the the flyover zone is. What you know, people in LA and New York kind of refer to this as. as you know, it doesn't matter what's in the middle; it's just New York and LA kind of a thing. Um, but I think we were, I think we were hopeful. Uh, but I, I know that uh, Dan just really loves the the culture of, you know, the con culture, um, and. You know, like I was telling you guys earlier, I mean, he, he really bet everything he had on this show. And he's an old friend, and, you know, I was I was kind of honored to, to be asked to participate and at the same time really wanted to help him make a really good event. And, so, and, and you know, it, it exceeded our expectations. And it was, it was a surprise, you know. It was a really pleasant surprise. Everybody was really supportive. And um, it, I think it would have been hard to anticipate how successful it was. Especially when, you know, when, you, when, it, when it started out, it was like, well, if we get 10,000 people, you know, in the Southtown Expo Center, then that will have right. a successful <laughs> event. And then, you know, selling out, and, I mean, you know, between seventy and 80,000 people on the one day on a Saturday. And, you know, working with a lot of celebrities at the, at the show, you know, a lot of these people do a lot of these cons. You know, Peter Mayhew and um, uh, William Shatner and, you know, 
know, Stan Lee. And, and one of the things that people kind of universally were saying was um, just how blown away they were by, you know, the, the overwhelming support of, kind of geek community in Salt Lake City. We, uh, we had the chance to uh, talk with a few of them. Uh, Zahner was able to interview Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, Lou. Yeah, and, and Dirk Benedict, actually. And they both said the same thing. We kind of expected them. No no offense intended to them at all, but mm-hmm. you know, they do the, the con circuit a lot. It's part of their job. They interact with fans. I think we all kind of unspokenly agreed or expected them to be burnt out by it. Like, this is old hat, and this is... They all seemed pretty genuinely uh, appreciative of the culture out here. Well, you know, the one that really surprised me was Henry Winkler. I mean, the guy didn't sit behind his table. He was out walking the line for people waiting to see him. He was going to them. I thought, how classy is that? I mean, that's just cool. Henry, Henry, excuse me. My mouth's a little full. <laughs> um, he was, hands down, at least in my opinion, he was a real class act. I mean, we put together, uh, you know, Dan and, and you know, some of the team put together these um, kind of gift boxes that had, you know, like a an OGO backpack and some other kind of local, you know, Utah stuff and um, put him in the hotel room so when the guests checked in they, they got these back and he was one of the ones that you know he called and left a really nice message and he's just like man I just we, we just don't get this kind of treatment you know we put him in a really nice hotel downtown because a lot of these promoters they're just like these are just you know a way to sell tickets so they just kind of put him in whatever they can get away with and Dan's just not like that you know um, he's he's like I said, one of the most generous and genuinely like caring and authentic people that you'll ever meet. Didn't he like go four wheeling some of them afterwards? Like a few, yeah. So few after actually stayed, so. yeah. So after, as soon as it was was over, they took a trip down to Moab with uh, Manu Bennett and Brian Brandenburg is the his dance partner and he's the head of marketing for uh, Solid Comic Con. And some of the other, like, staff, I, I actually, as soon as Comic-Con was over, I started working on um, the Aquabat Super Show, which actually we didn't talk about at all, but I was just their location manager and kind of helped them out um, on that show. Actually, I do have a little bit part in, in the Christmas episode, which I think is going live this week on the Hub Network. Cool. So that's something we can talk about. We but it's a, really bit, it's a really bit part. If you blink, you might miss it. Um, so I didn't get to go on the trip uh, because I was working on another gig, but um, my friend Janelle that I brought on, and she kind of helped us uh, uh, interact with and make sure the celebrities all got where they needed to be. She went down there, and Mono went down there, and a bunch of them went down there and you know, kind of blew off some steam because the last, the last couple months before the event were just nonstop. You know, we were all, you know, in a war room at Dan's house, you know, just working constantly to make sure everything was ready. Now, you're no longer involved in an official capacity with Comic-Con. Not really. Um, but what do you see with the convention going forward, just kind of from an outside point of view? From a fan's point of from view. From a fan's point of view. Well... When they talk, when they started talking about having, uh, you know, two events a year, like my kind of my initial thought was like, oh, I wonder if you know it can support a couple of, uh, of, of events. But you know, talking with Dan and the rest of the team, I mean, I think what they're doing is they're creating two different two different kinds of events. 
one that really appeals to kind of the hardcore geek culture and one that appeal, appeals a little bit more to, uh, you know, in a, in a little bit more general way. You know, like the, the fanics, you know, you've got a lot of, like, the uh, next generation uh, stars that are going to be out here, Star Trek The Next Generation, which has, you know, a little bit broader appeal, at least in, in you know, Salt Lake, I think, than, like, uh, you know, uh, The Watchmen. Right. right, right. So, I mean, and, that, and that's just as an example. I think you guys get what I'm trying to say. Is like a lot of people are like, hey, I didn't really like that movie. They have no idea it was a graphic novel and don't know anything about it, right? Um, <laughs> people are just saying, what? what? That guy was just a total ripoff of Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, that, I think that there's actually room. I mean, the ticket sales from everything I've heard um, are, have been, like, really, really strong. And, I mean, I think that... You, that they're poised to actually surpass what they did with Comic Con. So nice. And I know Dan well enough to know that if he's going to do it, he's going to do it right, and it's going to be it's going to be a big big deal. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the fans have already lined up because as Zonger said, it's oh, one of you said. I'm a wonderful interviewer, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's kind of almost turning into a next gen reunion of sorts. So it's almost turning right back into that whole geek culture thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we just you need Patrick Stewart. He might be getting married again. Okay. <laughs> it is kind of what he does. Well, what I also know about Dan is he likes to surprise people. So, you know, yeah. as you notice with Comic-Con, I mean, I, kind I, of one of the biggest announcements of the show didn't happen until the show was already show kind of in yeah. process, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and to be perfectly honest and perfectly fair here, and Dan, if you, if you hear this... I mean it only in the best way. When we first got the official word that Comic-Con was happening, and they have Jonathan Frakes, and they have, you know, I think it launched with only four people announced. I'm like, it, we talked about it here as a podcast. It's like, we're in, we're in. We want to we be part of this. It doesn't matter that it only has four celebrities. It doesn't matter. It's going to be small. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's Comic-Con. We're going to support it. We're going to be there, and it's going to be awesome. And then it just kind of blew up. And I think the number one comment, like, we'd all sign in at work into our chat program. Did you hear who they announced next? No, I was driving. Who was it? Was, like, that was our gossip, our, our little girl gossip. Was, oh, my gosh, they got this person. So you, you think we can expect more of that from the Fanex? I. Like I said, what I know about Dan is he likes to surprise people, and there's always a little bit more in store than he kind of like lets out initially. Uh, it's just it's just kind of the way he is. But I think that I mean it definitely worked in their favor. And you know Brian Brandenburg, who um, he, he's a little bit more behind the scenes, but really deserves a lot of the credit for the success of that event because Brian is one of the most brilliant marketers I've ever met. Um, the way that, you know, he kind of has built the campaign, you know, around almost purely social media initially and built that um, that fan base or used the fan existing fan bases and kind of melded them together um, was really masterful, well, you know, I think. There's and, actually an article about him in mm-hmm. Forbes. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's either Forbes or Fortune 500. It's I Forbes. It's Forbes, yeah. It's an actual yeah. article on how to utilize social media. Yeah, Cheryl Connor from Snap Connor PR. Um, he, they, they've known each other, and he kind of started, when he started doing his social media, he was saying, look, I'm going to do some experimenting with this page, and here's what I'm going to do. And so he kind of like was showing her, he goes, oh, well, I did this, and it just got us, you know, this many more likes and this many more shares. And so 
he he has a lot of uh, foresight. Like a lot of us might go and do a project. I mean, like this is one thing that I've been thinking to myself at times is like, man, I wish I had the forethought to kind of go, hey, hey, so and so that I you know like and admire and I know writes for you know a big magazine. Here's what I'm doing right now, and here's what I'm going to try, and then go back and say, hey, here's what the results are. And so you're basically kind of building your case study with their involvement, right? And so again, I think a real masterful thing that he did. Um, and, and Brian also, you know, is a good friend of mine that I've known for a lot of years. And, you know, I, I admire both of those guys a lot. They're really, really good people, smart, and um, they really care about about the event being good because they like the culture. Right, right. They're part of it. They're not just trying to make yeah. a buck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Which we, I think most people, but geeks especially, can appreciate because we get so much of that pandering mm -hmm. where it's kind of refreshing when it's, very obvious that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, like I said, I mean, so when Dan decided to do this, I mean, he, he, he put his own money into it and really kind of bet the farm on on this being, you know, successful. And, um, and, you know, especially with the first one, it wasn't about the profit. I mean, he put a lot of his own money into things like uh, vouchers that helped fans get, you know, cheaper autographs and cheaper photo ops and things like that. And that's the kind of stuff people like, you, you can't, oh, I got a voucher. Da, da, da. You don't think about... You know, well, he's actually, for every one of those vouchers, you know, you know, we were paying the celebrities, for every one of those vouchers, we were paying the celebrities, um, you know, real money. Well, that was Dan's money, you know. Yeah. And so that's stuff that, that's stuff that he did that he's not going to talk about, but I will because I'm not officially involved right now. And I can tell you because I think it's a cool thing that he does. Yeah. Well, he even gives a chance to a second-rate podcast like us and shows up on our show, so... Yeah, no, I was just going to say, that's one thing about him that I truly admire is that you can see his humility in all this. And for me, as a fan, it just makes my love for the whole Comic-Con Utah even more so, just because you can see that he's putting his heart into it. And, you know, every week it's like, do this to get free tickets and stuff. I mean, that's a lot of money that, you know, they don't have to do it, and they are, and it's just... Makes it more fun and meaningful. And Says the woman who I think will already lawn how many to the fan? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, so far one, but last well, yeah, year uh, I actually well. did. I did win a lot. <laughs> but um, thanks, Dan. I know. Thank you. No, but it's just like you can see it, and um, it does. As a fan, it means a lot. Now, now, focusing this back more on on you and mm -hmm. and filmmaking in Utah. Mm -hmm. The geek community has kind of exploded here, and I would imagine that geek filmmaking is kind of a niche market. You've got the big guys. you got DC. No, you don't have DC. I don't think they're considered big yet. Yeah. They want to be. Uh, they're have Marvel. And you have they're DC. well known. Yeah. The company's well known. Do you see there a future for that in, like, the indie filmmaking or the, the second tier here? Well, the way that, the way that indie filmmaking, you know, works... Um, you know, you're. I mean, indie is basically. You know, you've got a lower budget typically. I mean, a studio might go. You know, like you have a, um, uh, like Fox Searchlight, right? So that's an indie studio. But at that level, you're talking about like a fifteen or twenty million dollar picture. Whereas, you know, when I'm talking about doing an indie movie, I'm talking about like maybe three and a half million. You know, which is still a lot of money. I mean, the first movie that I would 
was a producer of was called Friend Request, and our budget was, you know, I mean, it was a little bit under, you know, 500000 So um, it's interesting, and, and, you know, the budget on Inspired Guns was even less than that, you know. So so when we're talking, when I'm talking about indie pictures, I'm talking about, like, really, you know, independent, really independent, you know. It's like you're getting independent money from, from a private investor, uh, which means you're usually putting together a business plan. Um, you can't you can't go out and buy you know a uh, Batman license or um, you know some of these licenses and and you, you know even even sometimes you know with music and things you're looking for kind of up and coming like local bands or smaller bands that maybe have a good sound that haven't been signed yet and you're looking to, to give them some exposure so I don't think you're going to see like a lot of um, pre-existing licensed type characters and things coming out in independent film unless you have um, like you know maybe DC would go you know what let's do a contest and let's you know basically allow someone to use such and such a license if they can go raise the money they can do a film and we'll just take participation on the back end then you might see. I mean, that might be interesting, right? That would be really interesting. If, or if they you said could, you could probably make that go viral, you could throw that up on YouTube. And well, as I was saying it, I was thinking it was kind of brilliant. So, <laughs> TM, you, you've heard it here first. It's Jared's idea. Yeah, but you know, I mean, there's companies like you know Machinima, uh, Machinima Prime. Um, uh, trying to think. Uh, well, our friend Kristen does content for them with the Skyrim parodies. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Kristen Nedipak. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, like, Scott Wynn is a friend of mine, and I know, you know, like, Devin Supertramp and some of those guys. So, you know, we did um, we did a Splinter Cell video on YouTube. Um, if you search, I'm trying to remember what we actually called it. If you search Scott D.W. Splinter Cell. Um, so, and, and, and Ubisoft actually, you know, paid us to do that. And it's a spoof on that. You know, Machinima Prime, you know, they, they have some people that actually they pay to do fan content. So there's kind of this fan content, but there's not very much really good fan content. Right? Would you agree with me? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's been... There's, there's some, but for every better. good one, there's... There's, a, there's like five or six or 20 like, bad ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so that, that might be an interesting thing to see kind of how that stuff starts to develop because... You know, I know that guys like Scott Wynn, who started out by doing, like, Fruit Ninja in real life to dubstep, right? I remember that. Okay? <laughs> so you've probably seen that one, you know, you and, like, you know, 30 million other people. Um, and, you know, cute flying kittens, and, you know, stuff like that. So they start doing these videos just because they're silly and they like them. Well, now these guys have, you know, L.A. management and representation that are marrying them, or, you know, with companies that want to, you know, do things with their brand. Some of the companies are companies like Ubisoft, who has these licenses, you know. And so what's interesting is, you know, I've talked with uh, a couple of the big game companies I used to work with about, you know, getting film rights to some of their games. But they don't, they're, they're just like, you know, like Marvel's not going to go to somebody that's like, hey, I, I've got $5 million and I want to do a Spider-Man movie. They're going to be like, no. Because at that level, they're just not going to see how are you going to actually make a movie that has a production value that's going to do justice to this. You right. Know? They're probably still worried about like the early '90s Captain America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? As well, they should be because that's just horrible. 
League opened up his honors range again. <laughs> Don't get me started. I hadn't it's really too late. Game started. I hadn't really considered that, but that's probably true. We geeks are kind of an expensive lot. We like the nice, expensive things. Yeah. Sci-fi is expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. Even original sci-fi is just expensive. Comic book characters are owned by someone else. Mm-hmm. Video games are owned by a lot of other people. Right. And the very, I mean, you don't have a video game typically centered around, or a comic book centered around mild-mannered suburbia where it's cheap to shoot. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the whole point of the escapism of a video game or comic book. Right. So I hadn't really considered that, but... Yeah. So, I mean, there, you, you do have the... Uh, I'm trying to think, I mean... Like, you think about, like, original concepts in film that were done independently, and, you know, the probably the, the one that comes quickest to mind for most people is Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that has spawned some other things in reverse, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's, there's a, you know, a, a Saturday morning TV show or a cartoon, series, right? Yeah. TV series. You know, there's all kinds of merchandise and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there's a comic book, but... It could be. <laughs> you know, sometimes there, sometimes there, there, there are. Um, but, you know, you look at, um, I actually have a really, I'm not going to tell you what the concept is, but I've got a really good, like, concept for an independent, like, superhero movie. It's really good. Um, maybe I'll tell you off the air. But, um, but you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be something, you know, like that. And so you've got all these different um, media, comic books, you know, even, like, music, video games. And they're all cross-pollinating. So if you have a really successful video game, well, all of a sudden there's a comic book, there's a movie, there's, you know, it's like, well, let's see what it does in this other media medium. Um, and and so, but for an independent filmmaker to go and make a you know a Superman movie or something like that is is really uh, is really tough because there's just not the money. And and you know they even if you the, the way the movie making makes so I mean the first movie I produced you know I was thinking man. I'd really like to get Arlie Ermey to play the role of, like, the police uh, captain, right? He'd be awesome. And he's a friend of mine. Like, I know him. I know his manager. We've known him for a lot of years. And uh, so I called up his manager. I said, hey, what would it take? You know, he's like, well, what's your budget? I'm like, oh, about 500000 And he's like, that's what he makes on a movie. And he goes, I know Bill loves you, or at least loves you, but he's not going to do it. Because if he goes and does it for cheap, he's going, well, what's their budget? You know, he, he, his manager's like, I had to, like, talk him into doing uh, the watch. Unfortunately, it probably wasn't a great thing. But, you know, that was like a $30 million movie with, you know, John Favreau and uh, Vince Vaughn in that. And Jonah Hill, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and he's like, I had to talk him into that. And they were paying him basically your whole budget. And so the stars and the, the brands and people that are looking at the films, they go, well, they need to manage their what brand, are you going to put yeah. on the screen? You know, um, one common thing along with that is people think, oh, well, if I go to, you know, Coca-Cola, well, maybe they'll give me money if I put, you know, if I have the characters all drinking Coke, wearing Coke shirts and stuff. Coke doesn't really care about that either. It's like managing the brand. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, Coke sponsored this thing that's a piece of crap. They don't want to do that either, you know. That's when you need to go to, like, the really small local business. Yeah, exactly. You might go to like a local restaurant. And we had, when we did Inspired Guns, we had a lot of local businesses that really, um, you know, helped us out. We shot at uh, Maxwell's East Coast Eatery downtown. 
Um, we shot at Lakai. We shot. Uh, we had Larry H. Miller that you know gave us picture cars for you know the different characters and stuff that we had to shoot. I mean, we got a lot of uh, favors, and we you know we talked about them when we were on set. We were tweeting about them and facebooking about them, and letting people know like you know what a big thing it was. They're helping us out, uh, but they weren't giving us any money. Mm-hmm. They would kind of you know let us shoot for a little bit less money for a, a vacation fee or you know so it's kind of favors like that. Um, I do have uh, my my ex fiance is like a vice president of digital distribution at Marvel now. She wasn't when we were together, and I like to think that it's because of me that she got to that because <laughs> I introduced her to the Marvel people, right? Um, but like that didn't end well, so I can't call her and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna make this movie, and what, can you Just give me start a... off with, hey, you know how you owe me your job? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> help. Exactly. I don't think Free she sees meal. it that way. You know, I don't think she sees it that way, but. Uh, yeah, anyway, so. Well, now, at, kind of unbeknownst to us, we honestly didn't know this, but at the end of uh, the last Comic-Con, we were invited to interview the guys from Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah. And we were left blown away. Uh, my friend uh, James, whose name I don't know, we're great friends. He was an actor in uh, the movie that was shown just before, and it turns out they had almost their own miniature film festival at the tail end of Comic-Con. Most people didn't know it. It wasn't really well mm-hmm. announced and they're planning on expanding that at the Fan Expo. Mm-hmm. So here I am taking the two tracks. And, yeah. Yeah. I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that was here of, I come. Yeah, well, that was one of the things That was one of the things that they kind of wanted me to help out with when, they, when Comic-Con came to me. They said, we're doing this film festival, and maybe you can help us out. Um, I don't know that I really helped them much other than, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of think that... Um, at an event like Comic-Con, there's an opportunity to create a really world-class type of film festival, mm-hmm. like something that hasn't really been done. I mean, we all know about Sundance, you know, but, you know, Sundance is, like, so kind of big. It's supposed to be this indie film festival. It's not so much indie as it is just a Hollywood retreat now. It's, yeah, it's kind of more of a retreat. And But these, you know, but a lot of these indies are these, like, 10 $15 million films, and they're not, I mean, indie you know, they went out and raised the money, so I guess it's technically indie. But you've got a studio that's, you know, probably, you know, selling it or repping it. Yeah, or have a distributor it. going there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so I think that because you have, you know, a successful film festival like that, I mean, that's how Slamdance kind of got started, was they started running the same time as Sundance. Right? And, um, and they kind of created their own success in their own right. Um, and I think that you know a Comic Con film fest could do the same thing with a different kind of a genre, and would be a great venue for you know like some some kind of experimental you know short format films and um, just give a venue where people could go and see you know some of the stuff that they normally you know wouldn't even if it was stuff that was you know at different film festivals, but you could kind of. Um, you know, you have kind of that audience, but you can really, because you have such a, you know, uh, this passionate fan base, you could make it really good, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, um, and that's something I think could still use, you know, some, some focus and some improvement, you know, as we come up to FanX and the next Comic-Con, I think if they really focus on that, I mean, my idea was to kind of <clears throat> maybe even take the film festival and do it, you know, start it. Like if uh, if if Comic Con or Fanex you know starts on a Thursday, then you know start the film festival like maybe the Saturday or Friday before and do it for you know for a few days or do it like you know Monday Tuesday Wednesday, 
kind of as a lead up. Yeah, um, <laughs> because what what ended up happening is people had to decide, well, am I going to go to this panel or am I going to go see this movie? You know, and it's like, well, yeah. the panel's like, this is only going to happen once. I can always go see a movie. Right. So you kind of have to create that kind of, you, this is your chance, which it kind of was with Skinwalker Ranch. Um, we worked with those guys. In fact, those are guys that I brought on. Ken Brett Schneider uh, is a friend of mine. And uh, we said we really want to screen the movie. And they said, well, we'd release it, but what we could do is maybe do, you know, part of the movie. Said, Great, whatever you guys will do. And so we kind of built, you know, built momentum around that one. Yeah, uh, they, they were kind enough to sit down with, for an interview with us. and Yeah, so Devin McGinn, who directed that, and, I'm sure sat down with you and, yeah. and Ken and those guys. So. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we need to wrap up here. Is there any other thoughts you'd like to leave with us? Any, anything we should keep an eye out for? Um. Well, yeah, go definitely go check out the Inspired Guns webpage. That's the next thing that kind of is going to land and, and be seen. Um, we'll have the, the the note up in the show in the show notes, the link up. Yeah, um, I mean, other than that, you know, I mean, you know, go check out my IMDb page and you know share it around with your friends. I've got I do have an official like fan page. You know, all five hundred and eighty of people who like me you know well hopefully some of See, there's my mom take the hint and then there's my aunt and then, big family big yeah, family yeah exactly so yeah jared phillips official facebook.com slash jared phillips official and then on like instagram and twitter it's uh at w jared j-a-r-r-o-d-p on just about everything else linkedin and, and everything i've been consistent like that but yeah so the, the thing i'll leave you with are basically so as, as we go through life, all spinning on the globe and we're all in this together, I basically have three rules that I try to live by. So the first one is to speak your truth kindly. second one is to follow your heart. And the third one is to be in and enjoy the moment. Very good. How about if I leave you with that? That's great. I like it. I feel uplifted. Special thanks again to Sushi and Joy. Uh, again, they're at 856 East Fort Union Boulevard here in Salt Lake City for their awesome service and letting us crash here and <laughs> ruin the flow of their restaurant. The Feng Shui. Yes. Feng Shui. And this has been another episode of Stolen Droids Presents. <laughs>